Welcome to the Agora, the podcast that follows anything important happening on Greek land, sea, or in the air. Buckle up, it's time for takeoff. I'm Phoebe Frenista. And I'm Nick Malkoutsis. On this episode, we will be examining the arrival of a new batch of fighter jets that Greece has purchased from France, and we'll be asking whether they deserve the considerable attention they received as they flew low over Athens to much fanfare recently. On January 19th, six Rafale fighter jets made by Dassault in France arrived in Greece, and they were the first installment of the 24 planes Greece has ordered at a cost of more than 3 billion euros. Given the outlay on these new planes, which are seen as a serious upgrade of the Hellenic Air Force's capabilities, it was no surprise that the Greek Prime Minister and a full array of dignitaries were there to meet the aircraft as they touched down at Tanagra Air Base, just north of Athens. And not just dignitaries, I hasten to add, you because you were there as well, Phoebe. Of course, the Agora royalty, but uh, in this case, you were there reporting on it. <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> Did you feel the need for speed? Come on, tell us all about it. Yes. <laughs> Well, if you have a thing for airplanes, you would have greatly enjoyed seeing and hearing these jets going right above your head. It is such a cool noise. Let's hear it again. It was pretty exciting to see these beautiful machines flying low in V formation and then coming back one by one, executing these sharp turns to go land and then taxiing right in front of us. After the ceremony, Nick, we got to get really close. And some people, I couldn't really tell you who they were. They took selfies um, with these jets. Um, they could touch them, the nose, it's very pointy. Um, and I can report that they were not carrying the Exocet missiles. Those go on the wings, I learned. I don't know if those cost extra. I, I imagine they do all this stuff cost, but and I, I, I imagine also that we're not planning on engaging the enemy, whoever they are, <laughs> just with pointy noses of uh, very expensive uh, French uh, fighter jets, state of the art planes that we've uh, imported. But what about who, who flew these planes in? What was the deal there? So it was six Hellenic Air Force pilots, uh, plus two of their French trainers, because see, 
two of the six jets are two-seaters. So the trainers were sitting in the back. And oh, okay. that's how, going forward, they'll train the rest of the pilots here in the two-seaters. So these guys, they came home to this hero's welcome because they've been away training in France on these jets uh, since last March. And their wives and children were there waiting to welcome them with flowers, freezing, completely freezing in their Sunday best for two, three hours. They flew the plane straight from France in just over two hours, pretty fast. And then there was a televised flyover above the Acropolis before landing at the airbase. Yeah, it was quite a show. And of course, it was a bit of a national event as well. Uh, as you mentioned, she turned live on uh, TV and leading all the uh, news bulletins in the evening, Vox Pops, about uh, what people thought of the uh, plane's uh, arrival. Uh, it was a real event. Yeah, yep, it definitely was. Now, to be fair, it's not unprecedented to invite the media along to welcome new fighter jets. A very dear colleague of mine told me that he remembered covering the arrival of the Mirage fighter jets made by the same company back in the year 2000. Uh-huh, right. But yes, for sure, it was a whole to-do broadcast live with blessings by Greek Orthodox priests shaking holiness at the plains, a, a cheesy video playing on a screen by the hangar, and speeches by Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis and the French ambassador. Oh, and they even performed a water salute for the Jets. What's a water salute? I had the same question. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> So it's these army trucks that are kitted out like the water cannons the police has to disperse protesters. Okay. And so they were they were parked on opposite sides of the runway and you know they shot out these arcs of water over each jet as it was ah, taxiing towards okay. us. Right, I get it. Yeah, I've seen I've seen this. Tell you what though, it's a good job that uh, this ceremony didn't take place a week later when this massive uh, snowstorm hit. Athens and other parts of Greece, that that water salute would have looked more like something out of that Ice Age movie. Well, the fact that these two events happened in quick succession did lead to a lot of comments on social media about whether it was wise for Greece to spend upwards of 3 billion euros on new fighter jets rather than improve its infrastructure or ability to respond to natural disasters. Because Thousands of homes in Athens were left without electricity, and much of the city ground to a halt as a result of the snow for days. You know, so yeah. unsurprisingly, there were a lot of frustrated people. Well, you know, defense spending is always going to be a contentious issue because there are people who think that the money can be spent on more useful things. But it's clear that for the current center right government in Greece, there is no question that modernizing the country's armed forces is a priority. It sees a threat on the other side of the Aegean Sea, in the form of Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan in particular, and points to the fact that Turkish vessels and fighter jets regularly make incursions into Greek waters and airspace. But we should also point out that strengthening the armed forces plays very well with the voter base of the ruling New Democracy Party and perhaps a wider part of the electorate as well. So politically, it's an important issue here in Greece. And of course, if you take all this into account, it was no surprise that there was plenty of 
pomp and circumstance as you describe to greet the arrival of the Rafales. Also, the fact that the planes are French is significant as Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis and his administration have mounted a significant effort to strengthen relations with France because Mitsotakis sees French President Emmanuel Macron as a vital ally in protecting Greek interest in the Aegean and the broader Eastern Mediterranean region as well. It's great you mentioned that actually because it's exactly this broad range of subjects, the significance of the purchase and arrival of the Rafales, the alliance with France, and the broader situation in the East Med, particularly after the US stepped back from a sketchy plan by Greece, Cyprus, Israel, and Egypt to build a gas pipeline that I discussed with our guests for this episode of the Agora. So who have you been talking to? Well, as always, for diplomatic and geopolitical issues, we have Macropolis foreign policy analyst Alexander Vuduri, and we're joined this time by Yanis Ioannou from Nicosia. Yanis is the co-founder of Geopolitical Cyprus, a platform which provides analysis on a range of issues, including defense, geopolitics and energy relating to Cyprus, the southeastern Mediterranean and the Middle East. Sounds like he's just the person we need to pilot us through this episode. Let's hear from Alexandre and Yanis. So, Yanis and Alexandra, thanks a lot for joining us on the Agora. And uh, let's start off by talking about the Rafale jets. Yanis, you're a man who uh, follows uh, military hardware very closely, so I'll come to you for the first uh, few questions. Give us an idea of why the purchase of these jets, why these jets in particular may be uh, significant. What kind of capabilities do they have? Uh, without getting uh, uh, too technical, uh, I, Please, would, uh, yes. <laughs> I, would, I would highlight some particular aspects. When we are talking about uh, modern-day fighter jets, we are not talking about a single a plane. We are talking about a, a complete fighting platform. Modern uh, fighter jets are platforms. And uh, when it comes to the Hellenic Air Force, its history, the latest developments, uh, the particularities of the operational uh, environment that the Greek uh, jets are operating uh, is closely related to the French military aviation industry. And this, and this goes back to the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s, and how uh, fighting platforms, uh, friends, fighting platforms were purchased and were successfully embedded into the arsenal of the Greek Hellenic Air Force. When it comes to, to the Rafale, uh, we need to highlight that uh, Rafale, it's a modern day, it's a new generation airplane. And with all uh, the new generation airplanes, we are talking about uh, a multi a multi-role uh, uh, capability. I mean, uh, Rafales are uh, airplanes that can perform many different uh, and uh, versatile uh, missions. 
and I'm talking particularly about what we call air supremacy, when a fighter jet, especially in the Aegean environment, can work as an interceptor, because there are a lot of incidents between the, the Greek and the Turkish uh, Air Force. And uh, Rafal also has uh, a very particular role when it comes to interdiction. Interdiction is, in simple words, it's uh, a term that goes back uh, to, the, to the Cold War, and it's a form of tactical bombing. And when you need to cover this aspect, you need an airplane that can perform air interdiction. And this uh, tactical bombing... Uh, uh, can have many different aspects. So uh, when it comes particularly to, to the Rafale platform, we are talking about a very uh, modern and versatile uh, multi-role jet fighter that perfectly suits to the capabilities of the modus operandi of the Hellenic Air Force. So it's a good plane, let's say. Okay, so we have this state-of-the-art machinery, Six of them are here, but Greece has ordered 24. This purchase, the, the whole batch, the 24, is it tipping the balance of power in the airspace over the Aegean in Greece's favor? This is a very tough question to answer uh, without exaggerating a little bit and without taking into account uh, those particularities that apply in the Aegean. Uh, we need also to highlight and to take into account the fact that uh, because of the economic crisis, uh, the last, let's say, 10, 12 years, some of the airplanes that the Greek Air Force, the Hellenic Air Force was operating were already getting a little bit old. And I'm talking about particular platforms. So by adding Rafale to your arsenal, of course, you can have some uh, fantastic capabilities, but when it comes to the balance, it takes more than hardware. So I'm not the person that uh, I'm going to reply to such a question by, you know, with an Excel, with different aircrafts, uh, the capabilities, the number of them. It takes more than that. Okay. In any case, Rafal's are a good advantage uh, in case of uh, a conflict, uh, not only uh, between Greece and Turkey or scenarios like this, but in the greater Eastern Mediterranean, let's say, uh, subsystem, and how you can also uh, uh, add some military value to, to those missions undertaken by, by Greece, in uh, in the context of NATO or the uh, whole European defense. Okay, a related question to that, Yanis. M much has been written and said in Greece about the Turkish Air Force supposedly being weakened due to losing experienced pilots and Air Force officers as a result of the Gulenist purges uh, over there. Is this an accurate assessment in your view? It's, uh, it's half the truth. Uh, Post-2016 and after the coup that occurred in Turkey, there are uh, a lot of uh, significant 
changes that uh, took place uh, in the Turkish Armed Forces, PAK, including the Air Force, the Turkish Air Force. And uh, many pilots, this is true, uh, they even uh, retired or lost their jobs because of all this Gulenist saga. But at the same time, 2016, it's a very uh, important year. It's a turning point uh, for a couple of reasons. The first reason is that uh, uh, Turkey uh, focused so much on its uh, uh, arms design and uh, arms development industry. And the result of, of this effort, uh, many investments and uh, a lot of uh, work uh, that was done, it's uh, the successful UAV, unmanned air aircraft uh, vehicles, drones, the so-called drones program. Yeah. And now Turkey, it's uh, uh, a big uh, drones uh, power and exporter in the area. At the same time, uh, after 2016, Turkey undertook a lot of military operations, both in Syria and some other cases. Maybe we can include Libya or South Caucasus, the case of Nagorno-Karabakh. So Turkey, okay, they lost some pilots. They do not have a continuum when it comes to all these uh, events related to to the Gulen uh, versus uh, Islamist versus Erdogan uh, uh, line of events. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, Turkey remains a very proactive in military and intervention terms when it comes to its foreign policy. And this has a particular military footprint. So in any case, uh, we always have to take into account the Turkey, it's a, a medium-sized country with a very successful uh, drones program and uh, has undergone through many military operations in the last years. Okay. Uh, Yanis has explained this to us there, Alexander, very well, the implications of the hardware. Can you give us an idea of uh, the extent to which Athens sees the purchase of the Rafale jets as part of a strategy to strengthen its defense cooperation with France, especially given that Greece is also, has also agreed to purchase up to four Navy frigates? There is a lot of emphasis on this alliance with France. Yes, definitely. But before explaining uh, what how Athens sees this purchase as a part or whether as a part of um, an alliance with France. Um, let me tell you that um, through this purchase, uh, the annual Greek defense budget uh, amounts to 5.5 billion euros for 2021. That is an increase of almost 41% compared to 2020. Uh, however, the government of Kyriakos Mitsotakis, the New Democracy government, um, uh, has seen this investment, let's say, as a necessity and up to uh, uh, a point uh, justifiably so, as uh, Yanis just mentioned, for 10 years due to the financial crisis, all procurement programs were um, frozen. So there was indeed some necessity uh, for the purchase, both of uh, the French Rafales uh, and also the French frigates. 
Now, during uh, the official ceremony at the Tanagra military base, uh, Kyriakos Mitsotakis himself uh, specifically said that he had an obligation to constantly strengthen within the limits of budgetary possibilities the country's deterrent capability. And he also said that um, their Rafals are an advantage, at least in terms of the type of aircraft compared to our neighboring country. So your question was really correct when you asked uh, Yanis about uh, now the balance in the Aegean. And he also added that Greece is building alliances with big powers such as France and the United States. And um, he also said that this naturally makes uh, Turkey nervous, even though these agreements are not signed, of course, aiming against anyone. Um, I have to remind you here that this is not the first time that Greece is signing defense cooperation agreement with France. And I do remember that Paris uh, was seeking to sell frigates to Greece since day one of the new new democracy government. There were constant media reports that uh, France is trying to do uh, something like that. But at the beginning of the government, there were other priorities, if you remember. However, under the constant pressure of these heightened tensions with Turkey and definitely of Emmanuel Macron himself last September, following his, let's say, humiliating defeat at uh, a diplomatic level, but also also, uh, domestically, since he had um, a presidential year ahead, um, after, I mean, the US-led Opus Agreement, uh, Greece and France decided to sign this defense agreement, which also foresees uh, the purchase of the Bellara uh, frigates. Now, in order to convince the Greek public over the need of the purchase of both Rafales and the frigates, the Greek government played the card of uh, both the common European defense strategy, as well as strengthening the the alliance with France. Um, The European defense strategy is um, France's vision. However, this vision uh, still remains largely in paper, since, it, as we know, it requires more political integration of the EU. Well, it should be noted here that other NATO and EU member states have not seen this agreement and this procurement and this defense, let's say, agreement very positively, mm-hmm. I mean, between Greece and France. Yeah. And especially NATO, uh, since it seems that Paris is seeking to create a parallel a mechanism, let's say, um, to the North Atlantic one. So um, overall, um, the agreement um, between Greece and France came at a time when the government could justify this kind of deal. I mean, it had um, the narrative of heightened tensions with Turkey on one hand. On on the other hand, um, the necessity, which was for real, And the third was that Greece is upgrading itself um, within the the vision of France's um, European strategy, European defense strategy, etc. Yanis, many commentators in Greece see this alliance with France as a game changer in terms of Greek-Turkish relations, but also the overall state of play in the Eastern Mediterranean. Do you think it's such a big deal? Um, we have to go back to the historical context of the uh, Greek-France uh, strategic partnership that uh, it was very essential during the 20th century and there is a lot of influence by the French 
strategic thinking, even in terms of the academic thinking when it comes to Greek uh, grand strategy or something like that. Um, uh, Greece and France, of course, they have something in common, and this is the Mediterranean aspect of the country. They are both countries of the European South. France is one of the founding members of the EU in the so-called uh, Franco-German axis, and it's uh, a very outspoken um, uh, zealot when it comes to the strategic autonomy, autonomy of uh, the European Union. And this is also one of the strategic goals in the current French presidency, how Macron is, uh, is putting on the map a, a task force, a 5,000 uh, troops, uh, European uh, response team, that uh, Greece is supporting in in in, in the EU level. Um, when it comes to the Eastern Mediterranean and how this area of the world uh, is gaining uh, a lot of attention uh, the last years and it's becoming, uh, uh, you know, a subsystem in the international relations. Uh, France has uh, many combined interests, and there are some years now, especially since Brexit, that this power projection is very obvious, it's very visible uh, with a military footprint. Uh, and also France is a, a nuclear uh, power and also a very important uh, NATO country. Um, I don't want to to approach uh, the the Greek friends strategic relationship in terms of with terms of exaggeration, but uh, there are many benefits for both countries. And also, when uh, Athens is uh, supporting uh, the European, uh, let's say, defense and uh, uh, common. Uh, uh, foreign policy aspect, it's on the right side of the history, especially during those turbulent times that we are going uh, uh, through and uh, having in the back of our minds that Turkey is not doing well in terms of uh, internal uh, economic situation, politics, and uh, uh, with the you know, with this political transition, that we have a big question mark regarding the political future of Erdogan and the post-Erdogan Turkey. This huge debate. So, on on the one hand, uh, we need to realize that this is uh, an important strategic re relationship. On the other hand, uh, as the 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 Greek recent uh, uh, political and military history has proved no one is fighting when there is a worst case scenario, when Greece goes to war, nobody fights by its uh, uh, stand, by its place. So uh, I strongly believe that we need to approach uh, the whole issue with uh, a wait and see uh, way, in a wait and see way. Uh, Alex, since we're speaking about the Eastern Mediterranean, we should also look at the, the issue that's developed over the last few weeks, which is that Washington has apparently withdrawn its interest in the East Med natural gas pipeline, citing financial and environmental concerns. Was this 
project, this energy project, ever a realistic proposal, or was it more of a political project with the main benefit of bringing together Greece, Cyprus, Israel, and Egypt around the same table? Well, Nick, um, first and foremost, I'm not sure whether the United States were ever um, fully supporting uh, this project. I mean, in net rhetoric, uh, yes, they did, because uh, they thought it was part of the trilateral scheme uh, among Greece, Cyprus, and Israel. Um, so they had no problem, but it was not part of the signatories. So uh, I'm not sure whether Washington was indeed interested or fully supporting uh, this huge uh, pro uh, project. On the other hand, uh, Athens uh, did try the last couple of uh, weeks to days to downplay this. Um, um, the, the United States went cold on the project. Um, it seemed surprised Athens. However, it has been well aware of the U.S. Um, United States clear position on the matter for over a month now. What is most uh, more interesting, uh, however, Nick, is that both the European Union and the United States are currently seeking ways to enhance cooperation uh, in the region with no exclusions. And that is why the European Union has left aside any talks about possible sanctions against Ankara and is trying to find ways to enhance the so-called positive agenda. So um, this is something, a new reality that Athens, both Athens and Nicosia have to deal with. And it's not only the EU, it's also the United States, uh, which are not that much interested right now and uh, probably in the near future for uh, the region as they were some uh, years ago. Um, on the other hand, in Athens, it has not gone unnoticed that the issue of the EastMed project came at a time when Washington is also trying at the same time to find ways to cooperate with Turkey and thanks to the rising tensions uh, with Russia at the moment uh, around the Ukraine uh, issue. And let us not forget that Turkey is playing its own role there by supplying uh, Ukraine with Turkish drones, uh, even though Turkey is in, more or less in the same um, position as Greece. I mean, it's trying to find some fine balance between uh, Ukraine uh, and Russia and with the United States. Now, speaking about the project itself, uh, the viability of this um, pipeline, huge pipeline, uh, has been the subject of some skepticism uh, from day one. And that was the main reason why Italy, for instance, has, not, has never signed um, this agreement. And in fact, uh, last um, spring, um, all the signatories par parties were trying to find uh, alternative ways to this project. So discussions have been held uh, about replacing this project with, for instance, um, Egypt has reportedly suggested the collection of existing gas reserves from Egypt, Cyprus, and even Israel, and they transferred to Greece directly by a pipeline reaching Crete or via LNG. Now, the plan for this project has was initially, and Yanis may know better than me, a political, let's say, project of former Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Um, however, all the involved parties um, were supporting it for their own domestic uh, political reasons. Uh, 
and diplomats have warned since day one about the finances involved. And um, of course, the EU was supporting the project, but lately um, we have seen a change of tone. They're trying to put forward and put priority more on greener energy choices. And that was actually, uh, as you said, uh, the same argument that the United States used uh, against this project. Um, so here, uh, this is where we are standing right now. And okay. Nick, I... If I may, I would add something to yes, please do. To Alexandra's assessment. Um, I mean, w- when we are talking about the, the East Med uh, gas pipeline, is like replying to 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 a puzzle. But I I like to call it the East Med gas puzzle. And what is the end game of its actor involved in the area? Um, after 2010 and uh, uh, the finding of uh, huge uh, gas reservoirs in the East Med, it was an initial idea, a strategic concept, uh, especially by the, pre- the, the two previous governments uh, in the States, uh, Barack Obama's uh, government, about uh, reducing Europe's dependence on Russian natural gas. This is the one aspect. Now we are talking about uh, the Biden's administration opposition to the East Med uh, pipeline that, according to my humble opinion, originates from its public commitment. And this is also almost an ideological commitment to speeding up the transition to renewable sources of energy. And with this non-paper, because there were many things written about the involvement of the U.S. Special Envoy Amos Hochstein, about uh, Washington uh, stabbing in the back uh, uh, its uh, regional uh, partners and giving presenting a gift to Erdogan. I do not buy those approaches. And what I would like to add here is that uh, uh, when Washington decided to to put this uh, unofficial document, this uh, memoir, this uh, non-paper, okay, we they they choose not to back the East Med uh, pipeline, but they very outspoken and very obvious supported to other alternative energy projects that are related to electricity. And I'm talking about the Euro-Africa and Euro-Asia interconnectors that are also very uh, expensive to build uh, with uh, a huge mapping when it comes to the distance involved to put an electric cable from Israel to Cyprus, then from Cyprus to Crete, etc. What we are dealing here, it's a, a change, a shift in uh, Washington's policy when it comes to the geopolitics of energy in the area, because uh, Joe Biden chose to, to support politically, to back politically projects that integrate this country's electricity grids with Europe, because both Israel and Cyprus uh, are let's say somehow uh, cut 
are, are cut off from the integration when it comes to electricity in the EU. They are very isolated. So I think that the whole saga of uh, US uh, withdrawal uh, of the support to this pipeline marks a new chapter in the East Med. And when it comes to hardcore geopolitics, it's very obvious that, uh, okay, we were supporting this project. This project had received the status of a, a, a project of common interest by the EU and received uh, a significant amount of uh, budget uh, for its uh, technical and viability uh, 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 um, aspects, but at the same time, Washington was working very closely with Israel for the Abraham Accords, for this uh, diplomatic, huge diplomatic, game-changing uh, diplomatic win that uh, led to the normalization of uh, uh, bilateral ties between Israel and almost every state every country of the Arab Muslim world, including those important for the West monarchies. Okay, and Yanis, very, very quickly, because I know you have to go just to wrap it up. We've got Greece strengthening its military hardware, uh, bolstering its defense alliances, as we mentioned with France. The East Med gas pipeline is out of the picture. Uh, electricity interconnectors are coming in. Where are we in the East Med and what kind of maybe one or two things that we need to look out for this year? I think the most important uh, development uh, regarding the, the balance of power and the current dynamics in the Eastern Mediterranean is how Turkey will try to rewarm its bilateral relations, especially with Egypt and Israel, which are the two most important, for different reasons, actors in the Eastern Mediterranean, along with Greece and Cyprus. So my best guess is that in the upcoming months, uh, we're going to see a full restoration of the bilateral relations between Ankara and uh, Cairo, Ankara and Tel Aviv. And this gets the East, New, the, the, the East Med uh, uh, subsystem to a whole new level that has many challenges, especially for Nicosia, since we, we are facing a huge stalemate in the Cyprus talks. We don't have negotiations since 2017. And for Greece, vis-a-vis uh, -vis Turkey and the challenges uh, ahead of 2023, which is a very important uh, uh, year, not only for the marking of uh, one century from the birth of modern day Turkey, but also for the political future of uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Okay, Yanis, thank you very much. Thank you very much for your joining us and sharing us. Alex, if we could just conclude, uh, if, if I could put the same question to you in terms of what you see uh, as key issues to look out for in the East Med and because also you follow what's going on at the Greek uh, foreign ministry and what uh, Greek diplomacy is up to, perhaps some of the things that Athens is looking out for this year. Well, uh, definitely I um, agree with uh, Yanis. I mean, um, developments 
that we are expecting to see an involved um, uh, region uh, are um, related to Turkey's efforts for this rapprochement with both Egypt and Israel. These are um, two countries that Athens has invested uh, lately in enforcing uh, relations, and especially with the United Arab Emirates. And we have seen also uh, Turkey restoring uh, relations with the United Arab Emirates very recently due to the economic crisis. It um, sought help, and the United Arab Emirates were keen to help Turkey. Um, so um, this... Um, probably um, has brought Athens to uh, the reality that uh, relations uh, among um, countries of the region are forged first and foremost by their own interests. Um, this week we'll uh, also see um, the visit of Israeli president uh, to Ankara, which will definitely open at least a new chapter in the relations between Turkey and Israel. Not uh, the best, um, I mean, there will be improvement, not the way Ankara might seeking for the time being, but it will be um, a new chapter, definitely in the relations between the two countries. Uh, so Athens is really uh, monitoring um, these uh, developments in the East Med uh, region. As far as uh, Greek-Turkish relations are concerned, uh, we cannot expect any um, real development. We have seen, uh, for instance, the convention of the Joint uh, Economic Committee. Uh, it, it took place um, uh, at, at the end of January, that is last week, and that shows that at least Greece and Turkey are keeping um, the communication uh, channels open and they're trying to um, further look up to ways to uh, cooperate in, at least in low uh, um, politics, uh, low policy issues, um, which is something encouraging. And it might be a testament for, for both countries to both the EU and the United States that are at least they're talking about issues of a common interest like trade, energy, tourism, etc. And it could be beneficial and this beneficial, honestly, for both uh, countries. In terms of um, the real talks and the resumption of exploratory talks, I'm not sure whether uh, it is of uh, a priority for both Greece uh, and Turkey at the moment. Uh, if um, a new round will take place, it will definitely be um, a repetition of what we witnessed during 2021. I mean, the delegations were meeting, they were just discussing about the differences, however, with no real progress, because obviously there is no political will at the moment to take things uh, in a much faster way that they could lead to what, um, to other an arbitration, an international Arbitration or whatever else they both countries can deal with their uh, issues. Uh, of course, for Greece, one is the issue, then the limitation of uh, the continental shelf and the exclusive economic zone. But as we have seen, Turkey is adding more and more issues on the table. And lately, it insists on the demilitarization of the eastern uh, Aegean islands. Now, uh, as far as the Cyprus issue is concerned, which is um, 
part of uh, the ISMED problems. Of I'm not expecting anything uh, this year, to be honest, because um, the Greek Cypriots are heading uh, to presidential elections in 2023, which is a year landmark for all the involved countries, uh, even though in Turkey might, we might see also early elections in 2022, but we do know that in 2023 there will definitely be elections in our neighboring country. In Cyprus, the political atmosphere does not allow uh, any um, intention on behalf of the Greek Cypriots to get involved into any talks with the Turkish Cypriots. And unfortunately, um, that is the same the same sense um, is um, um, the, same, the, the same atmosphere, uh, not exactly the atmosphere. There is no intention, uh, and that is unfortunate, on behalf of the international community. I mean, uh, they, the United Nations see that there is no point of uh, any initiative at the moment. Um, all sides uh, are sticking to their position. And even though... Um, the incumbent, for instance, uh, President Nikos Anastasiadis, he's not. Um, he will not. Uh, uh, he will not seek to be re-elected, and that could have given him an opportunity to change uh, his um, methods and tactics vis-à-vis uh, the Cyprus talks. Um, I, I cannot see uh, him or the Greek Cypriot administration getting involved in any talk. So uh, we're we're not expecting anything in 2022 in terms of the Cyprus issue and uh, no real developments uh, in Greek-Turkish relations as well. Okay, Alex, thanks very much for rounding all that up. Plenty to look out for there. And many thanks again for joining us on the Agora. Thank you, Nick. That was Yanis Ioannou of Geopolitical Cyprus and our very own Alexandra Vuduri speaking to Nick about the Rafal jets and the broader situation in the Eastern Mediterranean. Yeah, thanks very much to both of them for climbing into the Agora cockpit. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> I think we're running out of aircraft <laughs> gags. <laughs> Phoebe, are you saying it's time to turn and burn? <laughs> <laughs> Let's wrap things up quickly. Before the next snowstorm grounds us. That's it. Switch on the afterburners, Phoebe. <laughs> is, that, is that from Star Wars? I don't know. I don't know. No, I don't think we have afterburners. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> You've been listening to The Agora, a podcast brought to you by Macropolis, a political and economic analysis service that covers developments in Greece. You can find out more at www.macropolis.gr. That's Macropolis with a C. And don't forget, you can listen to the Agora on Acast, Spotify, and Google and Apple Podcasts. Follow us, rate us, write to us. Your feedback is always welcome. Until the next episode, it's bye-bye from me and from my wingman. Ah, you got the last one in. <laughs> bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>